Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Long Game with LZ and Leach. Welcome to The Long Game with LZ and Leach from The Recount, where every week we talk about the biggest stories in sports and how they impact culture, politics, and business. I'm LZ Granderson, and I am no longer upset about the Lakers because I have the Dodgers! He's Will Leach. We have a very full slate today, as always. First, we're going to talk about the high-stakes business of NFL quarterbacks. After a very busy offseason for many of the top quarterbacks, it's clear that they have more leverage now than they've ever had. We'll dig into what this means for the league going forward and debate whether Lamar Jackson is, in fact, the smartest player of all time. I think so. He's pretty smart for wide receiver. (laughs) Oh, I like that. Then we'll discuss whether the owner of the Washington Commanders, Daniel Snyder, will be able to hold on to his franchise. Just when it looked like the NFL was giving him a pass, even though numerous allegations of sexual harassment and toxic behavior have been made against him and his organization, a former employee went and told Congress, yes, Congress, that the team has been underreporting revenue to the <laughs> NFL. Now, Will, he's really crossed the line. You can get away with a lot in the NFL, but you cannot cost Jerry Jones a quarter. Do not cost him even (laughs) so much as a dime, LZ. And later, since college athletes have been allowed to make money since last July for the uses of their names, image, and likenesses in so-called NIL deals with sponsors, we'll take a look how the college sports landscape is being altered, especially for college football. Spoiler alert, Nick Saban, not pleased. Spoiler alert, that's the old spoiler alert. That's like a story that's already been told and now being told again. Exactly. Then we'll wrap up the show with this week in sports history and ponder how the world would be different if George W. Bush became the commissioner of Major League Baseball instead of Bud Selig. I will take any difference in the world I can get right now. (laughs) Of all the timelines, how did we end up at this one? But before we get into that, LZ, what is your sports mood today? Well, my friend, as I alluded to earlier, Mm -hmm. the Dodgers, (laughs) like, we're becoming what we thought we were going to be. And I don't know what's gotten into Clayton Kershaw. I hope it never leaves. (laughs) Maybe he's inspired because his old buddy, Matt Stafford, won a championship in front of the world. And now he wants to prove he can do it again. I don't know. I'm just loving it. We're dominant, Will. Dominant. And yet they're the Giants once again. <laughs> I don't know how they're doing it, but once again, they're right there with you. It's completely bizarre. Dodgers look awesome. I think it's good for the Dodgers to have a year where they're awesome start to finish that isn't 60 games. And listen, they have won 160. <laughs> wow. Games. I mean, wow. I'm not, we've I'm not, won 25 divisions in a row. We've been at 18 World Series in the past two years, and you don't think we can finish? I've always made the analogy that the 2016 Cubs are a little like the 85 Bears. They are this big outsized team in the history uh, of baseball that we thought of as this big thing, as this big group of colorful characters. And they were built to win for a long time, but only won one. And ultimately, they tore that Cubs team down. And they'll all be known for winning one, but not being the dynasty. I think a lot of people thought they might become the Bears and those Cubs. The Dodgers feel like that way to me. The Dodgers are too good and too interesting to be the Braves, where you only got one and won the division every year. Like The Dodgers are doing something revolutionary right now and really dominating baseball. And I say this not because I'm a Dodgers fan, because I'm not, to be as clear as possible. But you'd like to see them get one that isn't in that shortened season. I've often thought teams that won the championship in the COVID season really kind of earned it more. (laughs) But I don't think people see it that way. I think people see it as the idea that like, oh, well, that was the weird year. They won it in Texas. It doesn't really count. So I do feel like they need to get one during this run so they don't just get stuck with that one. 
obviously the Lakers having won in Orlando also gets the same sort of slander. Somehow, some way, every single dynamic of that postseason for both basketball as well as baseball isn't really real because we had to manage it in the pandemic. So I'll just simply say that this idea that any championship, regardless of sport, that was one during the pandemic where you had to have like a bubble or, you know, you're secluded or a shortened season. Those all count. Unless you're telling me the playoffs were shortened, which I don't recall there being a shortened playoff. Do you, Will? No, no, they were hard. They were longer, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I get that you hate LA. I get that people hate the Lakers and they hate the Dodgers. And this is an opportunity to slander the legacy But the reality is we don't need to win a championship to validate 2020. We need a championship because that's just what we do. How about that? That's so definitive. Look, I tell you, Los Angeles sports fans have swagger that New York fans used to have and don't (laughs) anymore. I think there's a clear loss uh, around that time. So my sports mood is- What's your uh, sports mood? My sports mood is brief. Last week, we talked about like, okay, I don't want to hear any more from the 76ers. They lose the Raptors. They become last year's Jazz. But we don't want to hear this crap from anymore. Woo, they look good. <laughs> they look yeah. really, they look really, really good right now. And uh, it's, not, it's not even hardened, right? They haven't really gotten hardened going yet. The 76ers look to me potentially really interesting and really scary. And the second thing on this, because we're not really digging into the NBA playoffs very much today, I want to talk a little bit about Kyrie Irving. Kyrie is so definitively his own person, even when he's right and even when he's wrong. I felt obliged to remind people that like, hey, Kyrie's been right about some things, (laughs) like not the world being flat, but like this is a guy that bought George Floyd's family a house. This is a guy that fought to get people out of the bubble and failed, but I thought what he was fighting for, I thought was really kind of interesting. And so the idea that he is so steadfastly himself and after the year that he has had and how much we've talked about him, the fact that the entire first weekend of discussion in the playoffs was about once again Kyrie Irving (laughs) is really kind of remarkable. And my last note on this was I had forgotten not to say that the last four years of American discourse have been exhausting and overwhelming, but I had forgotten about Uncle Drew <laughs> I completely How forgot you about, Uncle, about Drew? Uncle Drew. And that was 2018. That feels like it was 45 years ago. We've gone through 80 different permutations of Kyrie Irving since Uncle Drew. I forgot about Pepsi Max. Those were the ads that he was in for in the first place. Like the way that James Gandolfini desperately tried to get away Ooh. from the specter of Tony Soprano. I do feel like Kyrie Irving has now successfully shed his Uncle Drew skin and is now <laughs> able to be the person that he is today and put Uncle Drew behind him. Do you at all feel as if these first two games of the playoffs for both Denver as well as the 76ers, given how the MVP candidates have not only played, <laughs> yeah. but also the impact on the court in terms of wins and losses. Do you think people who voted for Jokic, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you will, Mm -hmm. are having some second thoughts? I do feel like the, well, actually, if you look at his win shares and what he does on the court, (laughs) those Jokic people are real quiet right now. Because it turned out, it's a lot easier to do all those things when Draymond Green is not guarding you. (laughs) And it's really kind of wild, right? And one of the things that's remarkable about Jokic, when things don't go well for him, he freaks out. He doesn't have as much of a reputation for that as he should. This is the second playoffs in a row where we've had this issue where he's been kind of stymied a little bit and he's freaked out. It feels like he gets more of a pass on that than he should because when it's falling apart on him, he makes it fall apart faster. The thing I was trying to express repeatedly when it came to the MVP conversation was how Embiid had to manage so much more than just simply wins and losses on the court. That the Ben Simmons controversy that has clouded the entire season was managed properly by its leader, while also acclimating another superstar in James Harden, and they continued to win. That is also part of the MVP discussion that isn't quantifiable by any of your number crunching, but I think, to your point, Will, is playing out. Shit didn't go right in Philadelphia either. (laughs) But guess what? Old dude decided, I'm just going to ball out, lead the league in scoring, get myself a 30-plus double-double every night, and lead this team. Whereas the other guy, Mm -hmm. 
is, to your point, demonstrating pretty much the opposite. I feel like you're underestimating his efficiency, LZ. <laughs> Okay, LZ, it's time to move on to our first big topic, the fascinating business machinations of NFL quarterbacks. He doesn't think he has to think about his contract. He thinks, feels like he's got time to do it. And Yeah, you could argue that one way or the other, but everybody gets to make that decision for themselves. That's a great thing. That's his choice, not somebody else's. So that's what Lamar's doing. You know, I think it's kind of cool and funny and fascinating how all the, everybody wants to talk about it and, you know, speculate on it. But it's really pretty simple, I think. He's not ready, you know. And when he's ready, we'll be ready. And when that happens, we're going to have, we'll have some. That was John Harbaugh, the coach of the Baltimore Ravens, talking about the contract status of Lamar Jackson, his star quarterback. Jackson, who was the NFL's unanimous MVP in 2019, which, you know, 2019 was a long time ago. I've been on quite a journey since then, personally. Mm -hmm. Has just one more year left on his current deal before he becomes an unrestricted free agent. So far, however, he's shown no interest in signing an extension. And if this remains the case, he would become the first quarterback to play out his rookie deal with the team that drafted him when an extension was realistically available. So why would he do this? Well, just in this current offseason, Matthew Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, and Deshaun Watson, who I believe we've discussed a bit on this podcast, all signed massive deals that set NFL records. Jackson, by betting on himself, could earn more than all of the guys we just mentioned if he has a great 2022 before he hits free agency when there will likely be incredible demand for his services. However, on the flip side, if owners have doubts about the quarterback, he should expect to be treated roughly. Ask Baker Mayfield about that, who Cleveland is dumping <laughs> in favor of Watson, or for that matter, Kyler Murray, who played poorly in the playoffs for Arizona, seems desperate to send a contract extension, but may not get one because ownership might not think he's worth 40 plus million a year. LZ, the best quarterbacks are quickly becoming like the biggest stars in the NBA and are starting to call the shots. What does this mean for the league moving forward? I think it's a beautiful thing, Will. Hmm. I think it's an absolutely beautiful thing, and here's why. Fuck the owners. <laughs> yes, definitely no disagreement there. <laughs> I mean, for so many decades, the power structure was so firmly on their side that it was almost ridiculous for us in our business to report the overall contracts that quarterbacks and all the NFL players really were signing because we knew they actually meant nothing. That they could have signed a $75 million deal that actually could have been null and void the very next season. <laughs> and they enjoyed that power dynamic, Will, for <laughs> decades. Forever. For literally for the entire time there's been football. It was monopoly money. Oh, well, we signed them for a $125 million deal in August. And then by July, they get cut. Well, he just earned $40 this year. Congratulations <laughs> on that contract. So power to you, Mr. Leroy Jackson. Because you know what? Even if you don't have a great season, all you really need to do is have a good enough season so that the other team that's desperate for a starting quarterback will look at you and be willing to open a bank in your favor. And why do I feel that way? Oh, I don't know. Kirk Cousins making $40 million. <laughs> when was the last time you found yourself going, my God, thank God Minnesota Vikings have Kirk Cousins. I can't go down the street without watching children playing in the yard, pretending to be Kirk Cousins. His signature <laughs> style and throwing motion. So, Who doesn't want to be Kirk so Cousins? So my point being is that all you have to do is be Kirk Cousins and you might get 40 million strong. <laughs> Take advantage of it. Maximize it. Do whatever you can to get as much as you can. Because trust you me, this business has been taking advantage of the situation in the opposite manner for almost the entirety of its existence. So just because we've had a recent blip in which the contracts people are signing will are actually holding them to the actual parameters of the contract, you know, what am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Feel bad? <laughs> I mean, yes, obviously, you should always feel bad for NFL owners. But I do think part of this is the evolution of the game, right? There was a time where the entire style of the game was, well, you know what? 
just get yourself a Trent Dilfer, get yourself a Heath Schuler, get yourself right. a guy that can just throw your, your 10 yard out passes and not turn the ball over and hand it to Terrell Davis. And you can win that way. And it's just not the way football is played anymore. You clearly need that quarterback. Your Rams, pretty good example of this, right? They had basically everything going, but realized we don't have that quarterback. They went out and got the quarterback. They won the Super Bowl and they won the Super Bowl specifically because of that quarterback who did amazing things down the stretch. And so you can't get away with cheaping out on quarterbacks anymore. So you're maximizing that. The downside to that for some of these quarterbacks you saw with Baker Mayfield and now you're seeing with Kyler Murray with my Arizona Cardinals is you better be that quarterback because there's nothing more damaging for a team than to think you have that guy and not have that guy. The Arizona Cardinals, again, a perfect example of this. <laughs> they thought Josh Rosa was that guy. I thought Josh Rosa was that guy. Josh Rosa was not. I thought not. Drew Stanton was that guy. <laughs> yeah, lots of bad quarterbacks for a long time. But more to the point, the Cardinals realized we have to have that guy. Once they realized Rosen was not that guy, even though it was only one year in, they not only traded up to get Murray, they brought in a coach specifically to maximize Murray. That's why they right. were supposed to go there together. But if Murray is just an average or slightly above average quarterback, <laughs> that's not enough, I think, to justify, in the Cardinals' eye anyway, that sort of investment in him. Because you don't want to get tied to a guy who's just slightly above average if you're the Cardinals. They want Kyler Murray to be their quarterback, but quarterbacks can command such value now that if you give him that $40 million contract and he plays like a little bit less than Kirk Cousins, which is what he played <laughs> in that playoff last year, you're doomed. And, and I think that is what you're seeing. I think that's what happened to Baker Mayfield. I think the Browns were acting very much like the Rams, not as smartly as the Rams, not as efficiently as the Rams. And frankly, considering the two guests that we've had that work for the Rams, not as handsomely as the Rams. But certainly what they're trying to do is they're realizing, hey, you know what? Baker Mayfield had a down year, but he's still a pretty good quarterback but he's not enough. And so they decided, well, let's go get the most problematic possible person we could have gotten as a quarterback and move heaven and earth to get him. Them doing that is not because, or at least not just because, the Browns are this soulless franchise that will do anything to win. It's because now the league understands the quarterbacks have all the power. If baseball played once a week like the NFL, Clayton Kershaw would be Tom Brady right? Starting pitchers would be all that matters. This is what we're seeing in the NFL. The way the game has evolved, quarterbacks are not all that matters, but if you don't have one, you can't win. And so I think it's great that quarterbacks are taking advantage of that and maximizing that, even if it sometimes works in something horrible happening like we saw with Deshaun Watson. But there is a downside to that. And the downside is you used to be able to be an average quarterback and still win. You can't be an average quarterback and have your team still win anymore. You've got to be great. And eventually, we're going to run out of great guys. I was really excited about Kyler Murray as a Cardinals fan. And then I watched Josh Allen. And then I watched Patrick Mahomes. I was like, oh, he's not that. Right. That's what the Cardinals have kind of realized. And that puts a little bit more pressure on these guys as well. You know, when it comes to Kyler Murray, and I definitely hear your criticism. And I, and I, I do think a lot of it is justified. But I also think that... We have to remember that this is a franchise that drafted Josh Rosen in the top 10 and fired that coach yeah. <laughs> and got rid of the quarterback. Mm. So the leadership structure of the franchise is still very, very nebulous, in my opinion, yeah. because they replaced that NFL coach with someone who had never coached an NFL on any level before. Mm -hmm. And so how much of this are you blaming Kyler Murray in terms of the way they finished the last couple of seasons? And how much of this is that they don't have the right coach? When you see Kyler out there, there are a couple of thoughts that come to mind. My first thought is he's small, right? And I think that's everyone's initial thought. I remember the first time I saw him play in the NFL, I was in the stadium. They were playing Carolina. Kyler was the curiosity, right? We want to see what this kid looked like. And I was like, my God, I'm concerned for his safety. Yeah, yeah. And I think... I think he's you know, concerned at, for his safety. The way he plays... You mentioned Josh Allen. I'm concerned for the safety of the people trying to tackle Josh <laughs> Allen. Yes. <laughs> right? That man is a beast, right? That's not Kyler Murray. And that is a strike against him that he cannot change. His height is his height. Sure, he can stand and put on maybe a few more pounds, but you don't want too many because his speed is what keeps him on the field. 
So he's in a complicated situation, made even more complicated by the fact that he's got a coach who has made some questionable decisions down the stretch and has problems managing the clock, in my estimation. Yeah. But you got to figure out who's to blame for what. And caught in the middle is Kyler, who's looking for a payday. Yeah. His situation to me is very, very unique, and it's different than some other quarterbacks who are clearly talented, like a Lamar Jackson, who's trying to maximize the situation in terms of betting on himself. Kyler Murray, I'm not saying he doesn't want to bet on himself, but rather he's trying to secure the bag in a situation that is very, very cloudy right now because I don't know what the right proportion is in terms of blame. Do you? Is it is it more Kyler? Is it that offensive line? Or is it coach? The reason that they moved heaven and earth to get Murray is they recognize you need that superstar quarterback to win. And I think they hope that once they had that, they would be fine. <laughs> and they haven't been. And there's been other issues. And then and Murray has not been great enough to transcend all the other mistakes that they've made. And they've run out of time. This is the other thing about quarterbacks, right? If you look at like how much these quarterbacks are getting paid, Justin Herbert's making $3 million. Why? Because he's still in his first contract. Yep. There's so much pressure on these teams to win while these great quarterbacks are not making very much money. That will change. And then once that changes, you have to have it figured out by then. The Cardinals were unable to build a winner, or at least consistent winner, around Murray when he was cheap. And now right. that he's about to get expensive, they're kind of caught with their pants down. The team has not been built around him the way that it should be. And Murray has not become so great that they're able to transcend that, which means they're trying to put it on Murray. But if they had made better decisions to surround him, giving him $40 million would be no problem. <laughs> like you saw the Vikings give it to Kirk Cousins, who is a above average quarterback, but not a superstar quarterback. And that's what it comes down to. You can't win without a good quarterback, but you also can't win with just a great quarterback. And the right. teams that get that right, like your Rams, are able to do both. But there's not very many of those teams. Yes, I'm glad quarterbacks are getting paid, but it's also worth noting that when things go wrong that aren't necessarily the quarterback's fault, it's the quarterback that gets played. Right. And that's what happens when you start making more guaranteed money. Yeah. Yep, you get that, elevated to first blame. Yeah, yeah, status. <laughs> regardless, yes. regardless of the situation. What happens to Baker Mayfield? Two years ago, the whole thing was, oh, Baker Mayfield, they love him. He's a big part of what the Browns are doing. Mayfield is their number one pick and the leader of this franchise. And then things went off the rails last year for whatever reason we want to say they are. And now it's, oh, well, this, the, the teammates got real tired of him. And there were real issues with him and so on. Listen, Mayfield's in his second year. A lot of this conversation is different. The problem is, is he's now hitting that contract year. And that right. contract year makes all the difference in the world, particularly for someone like Mayfield and Murray, who was picked number one overall, which by definition is a whole franchise building everything around you. It's a weird spot to be, but like this year, Mayfield will basically kind of decide whether or not he is a starter in two years or a backup somewhere. He's got one year to figure that out somewhere. But that's quite a fall, considering where he was two years ago. But it's a fall for Kyler Murray, too, yeah. who in the yeah. middle of last season was the leading MVP candidate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, <laughs> fell, he fell faster. There's no question. But he got hurt. Yeah. And that's what led to the drop-off. So again, I just find myself going, yeah, the dynamic has changed a lot. The power has changed a lot. But with that comes this irrational blame game now, where it's, yeah, we know you were hurt. Yeah, we know we have a lot of issues on the offensive line. Yeah, we know this might not even be the right coach. Or yeah, this guy's never coached before. But we're not going to pay you $40 million until we figure out who's really to blame. Yeah, but in a pinch, it's you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Will, let's go on to our next topic. Right. Has Dan Snyder finally gone too far? I do think he's been held accountable for I think the organization has been held accountable. For, and I think we did an unprecedented fine. Uh, Dan Snyder has not been involved with the organization for now almost four months. We obviously are focused more on making sure that the policies that they had, some of many which they put into place prior to this investigation, but also uh, coming out of it, were put into place and that they will be maintained and that we can ensure that that will happen in this organization. That was NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell commenting on the misconduct of the Washington Commanders franchise and its owner, Daniel Snyder. 
In July of 2021, the team was fined $10 million by the NFL, and Snyder was momentarily removed from day-to-day operations after a third-party investigation revealed that women in the organization were repeatedly sexually harassed, bullied, and intimidated. This, by the way, came after the Washington Post reported that Snyder paid a woman $1.6 million to settle an allegation of sexual misconduct against him in 2009. But the waters got muddier for Snyder after the House Oversight and Reform Committee decided to mount an investigation of its own into the team's toxic workplace culture. And what did they discover? Well, in February, a former Washington cheerleader told the committee that Snyder had sexually harassed her. And while the NFL said it would look into the matter, the league has been roundly criticized for basically slapping Snyder on the wrist and allowing him to still own the Washington franchise. But all of that might have changed last week. On April 12th, the Washington Post reported that Snyder, quote, may have engaged in a potentially unlawful pattern of financial conduct, end quote, that allegedly involved withholding up to $5 million in refundable deposits from season ticket holders and also underreporting ticket revenue that should have been part of the NFL's revenue sharing pool. To be fair... On Monday, the commander sent a letter to the Federal Trade Commission strongly denying the accusations and including 83 pages of signed affidavits, emails, and texts to support their response. So this story is far from resolved. But, Will, it does seem that if you want to sexually harass, intimidate, or bully female employees, the NFL will look the other way. But you mess with the owner's money? Aha! (laughs) You may have another thing coming. So, Will... Can Daniel Snyder survive as the owner of the Washington Commanders? So a little behind the scenes for those listening. Our great producer, not our favorite producer, that's Megan, but our great producer, Marshall, does this unbelievable document every week of giving like a ton of research. I I find it, for my other sports writing that I do, a incredible resource for the main thing that's going on. My son reads it. It's wonderful. The rundown, he did a timeline of Daniel (laughs) Snyder throughout the years is a artwork. I had forgotten about so many things. I'd forgotten he was the first one to charge for practice. I'd forgotten about the time that he said, we're never changing the name, print that in all caps. I'd forgotten about the time, this is the most recent one, where the cheerleaders had to get naked on a trip for, for some of the main investors in the team. All the horrible things, not just the things he's done as employees, but how consistently from the get-go, the through line for Daniel Snyder has been, how can I milk these fans for every single penny they've got? The $4 security fee that just Dude, came up out of nowhere. I was just thinking about after that. After September 11th? Like, <laughs> it's just like, like it's- How do you get to $4? Uh, for per ticket? It is unbelievable the things that this guy has done to this franchise to the point where actual commanders in the world are like, leave us out of this. Like we want nothing (laughs) to do with this guy and nobody cared. And nobody in the NFL ever really punished him. They've done investigations, but nothing's ever really come out. In fact, when the investigation hit, the one person that took the hit was John Gruden, who deserved it. But that is not the point. That was a John Gruden conversation. That was about what the Washington, this franchise, and Daniel Snyder. And he always is able to pass the buck. He's always able to get away with it. He's been a nightmare for that franchise for 23 years since he took over. And this is how they got Capone. Right. <laughs> like yeah. this, is, this is the way you get him is there's little money here on the edges that like the owner of the Browns might have been shorted three hundred thousand dollars a few years ago. We must destroy Daniel Snyder now. And I feel <laughs> like that is the ultimate what's the joke in Sin City that like uh, he said he loves killing Hitman because no matter what you do to him, you never feel bad. I feel like you can always rip on Dan Snyder and never feel bad about it. For like a, a snarky sports writer making fun of Dan Snyder, it's just target practice. It's just fun because there's like there's nothing you can do that's going to hurt his feelings. Right. But he's got away with all of it. He's always got away with it. I don't care what happens to him. The larger point of this is this is the only thing the NFL cares about. Nothing else no matter what goodell says in his state of the league press conferences how we are very concerned and you know what these are our core values that's my favorite goodell (laughs) phrase whatever thing that they're not doing is a part of our core values to do that thing they don't give a shit about any of it it's only 
the dollar. There is something really remarkable of what laser focus the NFL has on this. They don't give a shit about anything else until you cost them so much as like the tiniest penny and then you are toast. And the Snyder thing is the ultimate parable for that whole idea. I don't know whether they're going to get rid of him. Getting rid of an owner is super hard in any sport. But the idea that this is the thing that they are angry about and this is the thing that they will take him down as much as they can for is hilarious. It's sad and it's tragic and it's awful. But it's also hilarious because it is the most NFL thing ever. Look at Washington's response to past lawsuits. They've usually either sloughed them off or they've said, we are part of the, the fact-gathering process. We are, we're going to let the investigation run its course. And all of those <laughs> things that, that people say when they know they've done something but are waiting for it to go away. And they know they'll get away with it. They defended themselves on this in a way that they never defend themselves. That's because they know this one is actual trouble. <laughs> I think they know they know <laughs> this one's actual trouble. And again, not to belabor the point, but the intensity in which they defend themselves against this charge, which is bad. You shouldn't like hide money from the people that you're in a collective uh, agreement with, but obviously is not as bad as the billion other things that they do to their employees and fans on a regular basis. The fact that this is the thing that the team has their hair on fire about and they're <laughs> blasting everybody, but the other things are we're going to let them investigation run its course we're all we'll just, we have no further comment to this time kind of tells you all you need to know doesn't it it does and it doesn't because i don't want the fact that the optics are leading me in a certain direction to make the automatic leap that the optics are true to the facts that are right. still being shared right like for 20 30 years he's not been a very pleasant person to work for or to work with or actually, to even watch team play, to be quite honest with you. I can't look at his face, LZ. I don't even like to look at his face. I don't even want to go to the amusement parks. Like, I don't <laughs> want anything to do with anything. <laughs> but that doesn't mean he's guilty this time. And I'm trying to resist Will. Very nice. All of my might. Very good of you. Very good of you. <laughs> trying to resist the assumption, mm -hmm. based upon the optics, that he is indeed guilty of what he's been accused of. But the response is very revealing. It's going to be interesting because in the NBA, when Donald Sterling was facing the accusations mm -hmm. and you could see the train moving towards him being forced out of ownership of the Los Angeles Clippers, one of the things that I think really played a big role in all of it was the fact that all the other owners didn't really like Donald Sterling to begin with mm -hmm. and tolerated him. And we're aware of all of his awful races and sexist behavior over the years of owning that franchise. And so when it got down to the vote to force him out and when it got down to the conversation of, you know, how best we handle the latest revelations in terms of things that he said about Magic Johnson and, you know, black players in general, he didn't really have a whole lot of advocates necessarily fighting for him <laughs> to hold on to the Clippers. Made it a lot easier. So for 20 to 30 years... Snyder being a dude that certainly the public has found unpleasant, and it's hard for me to imagine a whole bunch of other NFL owners thinking he's a great guy otherwise. If it does get to a vote, optics or not, he may not have a lot of allies fighting for him to stay. Wouldn't it be amazing if he was just really charming around other billionaires? <laughs> like just around everybody else. They're like, oh my God, Dan, he is so funny. There's, I there's love that guy. pictures of him at bar mitzvahs and stuff. Yeah, he's just hanging around and live for the party. Who doesn't like hanging out with Danny Snide? Dan. All the, all the like the other owner's children call him Uncle Danny. Oh yeah, D. Snide. Love D. Snide. Love that guy. Maybe that's true. Yeah, seems seems no. unlikely. Seems unlikely. <laughs> You know what's so interesting, too, Will, is that this league was in trouble. There was a Wall Street Journal story not too long ago, a couple seasons ago, where the NFL was busted for essentially doing the same thing to players. I think they withheld, I think the report here <laughs> says, like $120 million in ticket revenue from a shared pool, which would have kept about $50 million in salary from players. So the NFL is actually has been accused of and has done this in the past 
but they did it to the players and so everybody was okay with it. <laughs> yeah, and, and the NFL was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, sure. Oh, excuse us. What'd you think we were going to do? We're the NFL. We're the but NFL. Now, but now you can't do it to each other. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> it's absolutely the most NFL story ever. Because, and you're right, Marshall put together a laundry list of infractions starting in 1999 when he acquired the team. The list just goes on and on. I had to plug in my iPad to keep reading the list because the battery started to drain. <laughs> like, that's how long the list is. And, like, there was nothing, nothing this heavy coming down from the NFL in terms of punishment. But now, now you've gone too far. And I'm like, what is this? There's no honor among thieves? Is that the unspoken <laughs> rule that we're watching here? Like, I, I'm so blown away that the league that is still trying to tell us that Colin Kaepernick wasn't good anymore, <laughs> that the league that buried countless accusations, if not flat out truthfulness of domestic violence and attacks against women, whether it's sexual assault or was it just punching them in bars, which is something several players have been mm. accused of doing over the years. None of that has brought on this kind of surgical-like precision in terms of, uh uh-uh, we're going after you, and we're going after you right now. It almost would have been better for the league to have shrugged its shoulders about this than to go after this, Will. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. It reminds me of one of those crime thrillers where the scam is going great until one crook robs another crook. And mm-hmm. then everything goes to hell. <laughs> and, and I think that's right. right. The smart- it's, like, it's like when Cypher decided to turn in all the other people from the Nebuchadnezzar. And then all of a sudden now Neo had to be the one faster than what he should have been. <laughs> yes. Daniel Snyder does not get to be a part of that universe at all. But nevertheless, I see what you're saying. <laughs> and there is something to that, that. There is nothing that Daniel Snyder has done with that franchise other than Hoover as much money out of the fans' pockets at the expense of anything that they may have actually cared about that team from the get-go. It's all he's done. It's this signature thing. Oh, and he's also been a fucknut to everyone that's tried to work for him and been like a monster to every woman that's ever worked for him and put together Mm -hmm. this horrible, awful culture and all of the terrible things he's done. It is his superpower (laughs) is to be this asshole and to get away with it. Until now. It's just, mm, mm, mm. you know, there is an owner somewhere that has noticed none of that. They didn't know about any of it or didn't even care or saw it was like, whatever. You do you, man. Welcome to the club. Until he started taking money out of his pockets and now they're going to get a scalp. It blows me away. And we know this about the NFL. We know it. But to see it put this starkly, I like your idea of they should have just let this one go. Like this is a very Streisand effect. Streisand effect is the idea. You take something small, but once you make a big deal out of it, everybody knows about it. Barbara Streisand famously, I think someone had accused her of something and no one really knew about it until she made a big fuss about it. And then everybody knew about it. This is a really good example of that where the NFL would have just been like, okay, let's, let's quietly punish them on the side or tell them to knock that shit off. The fact that they made such a big deal out of it and not made a big deal of anything else tells you all you need to know. I like the fact you asked a gay guy if he knew about the Streisand effect. I, I felt like I needed to clarify it for any non-gay people in the audience. I can say that joke, though. Yeah, I know. You can. Yeah. yeah. All right. When we return, we're going to discuss how name, image, and likeness deals are transforming college football and why Nick Saban is in such a sour mood these days. Maybe there's just not enough Affleck commercials to be made. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, LZ, we're back. I don't think players should make a decision about where they go to school relative to how much money they're going to make in name, image, and likeness. I think all the players on our team who uh, made money in name, image, likeness this year, you know, had representation on their own, and all those deals were created on their own based on their brand and what they did. There's nobody at this institution that had anything to do with any of that. I just hope that it doesn't get to where name, image, and likeness deals are created you know, for high school players uh, to get them to go to a particular institution. And I'm not accusing anybody of that. I'm not saying anybody did that. That's not why I'm saying this. I'm just saying philosophically, I think it's great the players can earn the right to make money uh, through name, image, and likeness when they're on a college team. I just hope it doesn't get to that point uh, because then you open up, you know, a, a, a whole new can of worms when it comes to recruiting. That was Alabama head football coach Nick Saban showing some displeasure with college athletes being allowed to get paid by sponsors for using their names, images, and likenesses. A practice has been going on for the last 10 months after dozens of states passed laws allowing it in the Supreme Court with, hey, Brett Kavanaugh, what, what, what an awesome guy, ruled in favor of it as well. While many of these contracts are small, some are highly lucrative. Top high school quarterback Quinn Evers left school early to enroll at Ohio State so he could sign a $1.4 million contract with GT Sports Marketing. And even Saban's own quarterback, Bryce Young, is one of a number of football stars that have multiple endorsement deals. But what probably has Saban the most worried comes from a report by The Athletic that was published in March, which said that a five-star high school football prospect in the class of 2023 has already signed a deal with the college's NIL collective that will earn him $8 million. Elsie, if this becomes widespread, the college recruiting landscape will change dramatically if players turn out to only be interested in going to the highest bidder. So how do you think, ultimately, this will all play out? So mm-hmm. I, I want to make sure I get this right. Okay. This is the United States of America, right? For now. Yes, for now. We have a republic masquerading as a full democracy that's driven by capitalism that's undergirded by corporate welfare. But at the end of the day, despite this jumbled sort of socioeconomic construction that we have here in this country, we all can agree that one true hallmark of the American culture is getting the bag, maximizing your talent and your hard work and your grit to have the American dream and make as much money as you possibly can. Unless you play college football. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you're telling me, Nick Saban? Then you get Nick Saban the bag. (laughs) (laughs) Then you have Nick Saban. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Listen, we all know good and damn well the NCAA has been a fraud in this space for a very, very long time. But what is perplexing to me is that you still have these old heads, whether it's Dabo, whether it's Nick Saban, who are trying to tell you that the system that they've benefited from and have enjoyed for years and 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 years, that system is going to be undermined now if the students that they recruit have access to the same sort of privileges that they have access to. That everything about this structure of wholesomeness and goodness you know, ah, smell the fall air. Football is coming. <laughs> rah, rah, rah. Tailgating in the big house. Like, all of that is going to be undermined if the people most responsible for driving this industry are suddenly compensated. Not even compensated, by the way. They're not being paid. No, 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 no. They still have to do the work, but at least they now have access to their own image so that they they can make money off their own image. Not being paid by the industry that they're driving the dollars to. No, 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 no. They are just now being allowed to use their face to make their money in a side hustle. 
That's what the rule is. And Nick Saban is saying, slippery slope. <laughs> Once you start allowing them to use their smile to make money, what's next? Their talent? <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, uh, damn. That's, well, am I missing something that's there? That's such a good point, and it totally gets forgotten in all of this. I live in Athens, Georgia. People love college football here. And there are so many people. There, I know people. Not all of them. I wouldn't even say most, but certainly some that have this idea that the game has somehow lost something for them now because (laughs) these players are getting paid. It's true. And what is weird about that, there's several things obviously weird about it, but I would argue the weirdest part of all of them is that they're not getting paid. This gets (laughs) so lost. Yes, I agree. Alabama's quarterback, Bryce Young, he is getting paid, but not by Alabama. Right. Not by Nick Saban. Not by CBS and ESPN. He's getting paid by other people. He also has to provide services to them to get paid. Now, yes, these things, clearly, these things are being organized in a certain way. The NIL collective that Saban talked about, that is a real thing. We've seen that at the University of Illinois, where I went to school. There's this thing called Illinois Guardians, and it is a group of alums and Illini fans who basically are saying, don't give money to the university. If you want to be a donor, give money to us. We'll put it all in a collective, and then we will give it to Kofi Coburn, who we're trying to get to come back and not go to the NBA. We'll give it to him, and then we'll set him up a sponsorship deal with like United Way, or we'll have him do a couple cameos or something, and we'll pay him $6 million, however much you give us. That is probably against the spirit of what NIL was meant to be. Also, who gives a shit that it's against the spirit of what NIL is supposed to be? Because again, these players are not getting paid by the schools. All of that money, all of that ESPN money, all of that television money, all the money that comes in, all these huge deals, not a single dime of that is going to the players still. And that gets so lost because you see like, oh, wow, this guy's getting $1.1 million. That's not the way that I thought college. I thought these guys were amateurs. Oh, don't worry. They still are. are. (laughs) They definitely still are. They're definitely not getting paid for the games that they're playing by the people who are getting the money from the games that they're playing. That has not changed. That is the most bizarre thing about this. Saban is someone who for years has actually been closer to the right side of this issue. He, unlike Dabo, for example, has said for years, I think players should get paid. He did not want to get into the details of how it would. He did not want to set up a fund from his own salary to make that happen. But but certainly he was not philosophically opposed to it the way that say a Dabo Sweeney was, or probably a lot of your older college football coaches have. But you nailed it because that is the thing that everybody gets confused about. They're not getting paid. This is money from outside. This is money from right. outside. By definition, the rule says the university can't have anything to do with what Saban talked about, which is fine, but actually belies the point that once again, none of that university money is going to the player. If Saban wants to talk about, okay, let's get these players paid for the money that comes into my salary or the money that comes into my facilities or the money that comes into my conference, the money that comes in from ESPN. Let's get these players that way. Then that's a different discussion. Saban has nothing to do with this. And I think that is what is really upsetting these guys. They don't have control. They're not in control of these situations. For years, college football and college basketball coaches, they have been the ones in charge. They have been the ones in control. They aren't the ones in control. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they're not actually against players getting the bag. It's just they want to be in control of the bag, and they want it all to keep benefiting them the way that it always has. They don't have control anymore, and that's what's driving them crazy. Absolutely. It is 1,000% about the control, and it's being presented as if it's about the greed of student-athletes and the fight that they're having to protect their best interest. That's the presentation. We're here to save you from the vultures (laughs) while asking you to ignore the feathers that is on their own bodies. (laughs) I'm so over it, Will. I I really am because the racial component to this is so glaring. It's just so glaring. 
You don't see anyone in golf talking about NIL and, oh, no, now golfers can get paid because <laughs> we know what they look like. We know who tends to support it. Same thing for tennis. You don't see people out there, the, the tennis coaches like at UCLA or SC or one of the other top schools that, you know, Stanford, that have produced some of the best tennis players that have gone to college. You don't hear these coaches going, oh, NIL, no, 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 because we typically know what these players look like that are playing on these sports. But for some reason, college football and college basketball, they can't stop talking about it. And we know what those student athletes look like. And we know who are the men, and they're mostly men, what they look like who are in control of hiring and firing coaches, running sports information departments, being part of the power structure of a university, whether it's the provost in addition to the president and all the deans. We know who all of these people typically have looked like over the decades, and they are hell-bent on maintaining as much control over these black and brown bodies as possible, even to the point in which they're going to try to characterize a side hustle. And I'm going to keep saying that because that's what this is. It's a side hustle. They're now demonizing side hustles, while many of these very same people demonizing side hustles have side hustles. They're selling cars and shit on television. <laughs> I've seen it. Haven't yeah. you seen them, Will? Oh, doing fuck. local commercials and stuff? Oh. I, like, I, I, I can't get away from Kirby Smart on my television. Here. <laughs> but, but for some reason, if an athlete, a student athlete, were to do the same television commercial, all of a sudden now the entire structure is going to fall to pieces. Are you effing kidding me? <laughs> you know, the tell on this. I'm going to use the Georgia situation. When Georgia signed, I believe, 617, they signed a bill into law saying that NIL would be allowed in the state of Georgia. Brian Kemp, the governor, went to Sanford Stadium, just a short walk from my home, and made a big deal noting about how he was signing this thing. We're going to get Georgia a championship, but we're going to get the best <laughs> players here. A very minor part of that deal was this provision that the Republican legislature in Atlanta, where the state legislature is, that they put in a provision saying that the universities should have the right to withhold 75% of their <laughs> NIL earnings until they have graduated. Right. That was actually in the bill. Now, for what it's worth, Kirby Smart, the coach, and Josh Brooks, the athletic director at Georgia, were both like, yeah, we're not doing that. We actually want people to come here. No one will come here <laughs> if we do that. But the fact that they put that in there is the tell, right? Basically, right. what it's saying is that like, yeah, you can have this money, but just so you know, we see who you are. We don't trust you. We don't trust you right. to be able to handle it. We don't believe that you should actually have this. And, and we'll use this as a recruiting tool, but just so you know – We'll hang on to it for you a little bit just because we, right. we know what you'll probably do with it. And that vibe was all over that bill. And I, and I think that speaks to what this is really about. Again, control. It's control. about control and it's about wanting to be able to say, okay, sure, if it will benefit us and help us get better players, then yes, we want this to happen, but we'd like it to be able to point exactly how you get it and exactly where you go right. and exactly who gets it. And your coaches are not under such restrictions, fair to say. And now, Will, it's time for This Week in Sports History, where we break down an event from the past through the very dirty lens of 2022. I like to go to the ball games, and I try to you know, lend uh, you know, lend a sense of the of the kind of fans owner mm -hmm. by sitting with the people, and uh, and I think it's important for Rusty Rose, who's my partner, and I to be seen at the ball games a lot because mm -hmm. we have a shared concern with our fans, and that is we want to do well and we want to know what they think about things. You just heard an interview with George W. Bush back when he was part owner of MLB's Texas Rangers, before he became a two-term president or even ran for governor of Texas. 33 years ago this week, Bush became the Rangers' managing general partner, sparking us to think, what could have been? That's the harp music that usually happens in music when they do flashbacks. Anyway, in his memoir published in 2019, former MLB commissioner Bud Selig disclosed that back in 1992, 
Bush, a huge baseball fan, came very close to getting a commissioner job instead of Selig, and that we could very well be talking about Bush's influence on the game over the years instead of what happened in the Middle East. Well, let's take a minute to imagine what the world would be like today if George W. Bush never became president, but instead was serving as MLB's commissioner and Buck Selig remained the owner of the Milwaukee Brewers. No, we're not saying that Bugs Lee became president. We're sticking, keeping him in Milwaukee. <laughs> anyway, would Al Gore or perhaps Republican runner-up John McCain have won the presidency instead? Would there have been an invasion of Iraq, which killed thousands of American soldiers and tens of thousands of Iraqi civilians? And on a much less consequential note, would the World Series have been canceled in 1994 if Bush was in charge of baseball? Will, imagine that you're waking up in a world where George W. Bush stuck to sports. Where do you think baseball in America would be today if he had? Okay, through gritted teeth, I will admit that the World Series being canceled in 1994 is less consequential than the Iraq War. Though I didn't feel that <laughs> way at the time. I was 18 years old. But let's start with the baseball side. That's the simpler one. I do feel like baseball probably would have been better because Bush, like, legitimately loved baseball in a way and had a passion for the job that I'm not sure he necessarily always had for the presidency. I I think that's a fair assessment. One of the major issues with Selig's commissionership is no one believed that Bud Selig was anything other than what he was, which was a owner who was representing other owners. Now, I know George W. Bush would have been an owner. However, simply by being a Bush, by having that kind of folksiness that I would argue played over a lot better at baseball games than it did at the White House. And I would argue would have gone over a lot better with baseball fans than Bud Selick's kind of fumbling accountant thing that he had going on. Anytime you ever heard W show up on like a broadcast, he came to life. I wrote about this on Deadspin back in the day. When he wasn't running for a re-election and it was Obama against McCain, he went and did an interview in the booth and I was like, oh, I don't hate this person and dread listening to them the way I have pretty much at every other occasion over the last six, seven years. He is relatable as a baseball fan in a way he was never relatable as a president or really as relatable as a governor, or really almost relatable as anything. And I think that would have appealed to people and I think it would have helped that situation not get to where it got in 1994. Selig is in the Baseball Hall of Fame, much to the chagrin of anyone that remembers what happened in 1994. That was a situation that he needed to resolve. And I think Bush would have been more likely to resolve it. And I think you can argue that so many of baseball's ills over the last 30 years can be traced back to the fact that they canceled the fucking World Series in August, <laughs> which is just still blows my mind. I go, I know it's not as bad as the Iraq war, but it's really bad in the context of baseball that that, that happened. As for the war stuff, McCain was still the insurgent, right? If Bush doesn't run as the establishment guy, I feel like they would have found somebody else to be the establishment person that McCain would have had to fight against. Would have been another vaguely Southern Texan Christian white guy that McCain would have been pushing back against. And that person would have gone against Gore. What do you think? If not Bush, then who? John McCain certainly seems to have been the one most in position to take advantage of Bush being absent in large part because, you know, it's largely believed that it was Bush's campaign that began spreading the rumors mm -hmm. about John McCain having a black child out of wedlock, which kind of derailed his entire campaign. Mm -hmm. For those of you who aren't attuned to that part of history, there was a contingency, you know, coming from friendly fire, if you will, that looked at the adopted child of Cindy McCain, his wife, and then started spreading rumors that John McCain had actually fathered the child outside of wedlock and that they were trying to pretend like everything was hunky-dory. It was a terribly racist and yet relatively effective method to get people to support Bush over McCain. It was a disgusting part of history. It's a disgusting part of the present, if you really are paying attention. But certainly it looked as if, if Bush wasn't there, McCain appeared to have been in better position to take advantage of that absence than any other candidate from that particular primary. Al Gore, who had won the popular vote, struggled in a lot of areas where Bush thrived, in part because Al Gore's personality is not nearly as infectious as W's. He came across, especially back then, pretty robotic. 
So I hear what you're saying in terms of the folksiness of Bush mm. and how that would have probably played a lot better in baseball than maybe in national politics. But it didn't hurt him in national politics because <laughs> look at who he was being compared against. Yeah. Somebody who was considered to be robotic and not really that personable in Al Gore. Now, we can certainly say what would the policies of the country have looked like if the guy who had produced Inconvenient Truth, documentary about climate and yeah. the impact of man-made industrial life influencing the shift in the climate that we had versus the, the big oil baron that was George <laughs> Bush. I'm sure that some of the policies would have looked differently, but we don't really know how it all would have played out if someone else like McCain would have gotten in instead of Bush. Now, in terms of the sport itself, I go to two areas in particular. One is very personal for me because W as president when trying to push for re-election, really just said it was a good idea to beat up on gay people. Mm -hmm. It was definitely a good out-to-vote effort. And what they decided to do was to push the idea of having an amendment banning same-sex marriages. Now, why is this important in the conversation of baseball? Because Selig was effectively doing the opposite in baseball. <laughs> Selig is the one who suspended a player for multiple weeks for using anti-gay slurs directed at fans. Selig was the one who decided to honor Glenn Burke, who was a closeted athlete, closeted baseball player, who baseball tried to pretend didn't exist, even though Glenn Burke was responsible for creating the high five. That's right. You heard it. A gay man invented the high five. Look it up. And that man, Glenn Burke, was gay, quietly gay in the clubhouse. And baseball tried to ignore them. They ran him out. And it was Selig under his leadership that baseball decided to acknowledge Glenn Burke, acknowledge what baseball had done to him, and oh, by the way, give him credit for inventing the high five. That was Selig. And it was also Bud Selig who hired Billy Bean, the baseball player who came out of the closet and, and talked about the homophobia in baseball. It was actually Bud Selig who hired Billy Bean to be the chief diversity person to help address homophobia in the sport. Would the president the man who, as president, tried to stop us from getting married, would he have done all of those initiatives to help queer people in the sport? Hmm. I'm leaning towards no, Will. I'm leaning toward no, right. I'm right. just going to take a stab in the dark and say the guy who didn't even want us to get married would not have been the guy to acknowledge Glenn Burke, wouldn't have been the guy to hire Billy Bean, wouldn't have been the guy to, to suspend players for using anti-gay slurs. The other part that may have been different for baseball, if it was W versus Selig, I think it has a lot to do with the way that steroids was being talked about. I do believe that W would have been tougher. And the only thing I have going on that is the fact that while W loved the sport and was a businessman, I get the feeling that Selig was a businessman in the sport. <laughs> right, 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 right. And there's a difference. Yeah. Because a businessman in the sport is consumed with the profitability of that sport. Whereas a lover of the sport who is part owner of a team may be still holding on to some of those notions of fair play and have a more romanticized version mm -hmm. of the sport and thus may have been more offended by the rampant use of performance enhancing drugs and not have been intoxicated by all of the driving attention that he was getting and thus driving revenue. So I, I think in terms of national politics and really international politics, certainly the country would have been better positioned in terms of climate control if an oil baron wasn't president of the United <laughs> States, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but baseball probably would have been less progressive in terms of, of LGBTQ issues and probably would have been harder against performance-enhancing drugs. So I don't know how you feel about that math, Will, hmm. how that arcada works out, but I think we both are in agreement that the world <laughs> and baseball would have been drastically different if W had been the commissioner instead of Selig. You're right about that. There were a few things that Selig was more progressive about, I think you would, could argue, than Manfred. I also would argue that George W. Bush was a lot more, this seems like an obvious thing to say, he was more political as a politician than he would have been as a commissioner. I do not know the man's heart, but there's a lot of things that George W. Bush and the people that work for George W. Bush did for political expediency that they might not have necessarily 
believed, but felt would help them win elections. Like, who knows? If Bud Sealy's running for president and he's a Republican, he probably has to do the same thing to win. So, does like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Does, I don't know. Does he? You know, it, it, and, know. And, that, and that's the question. It's, in, it's in, like, in 2004, maybe. You know, in, in 2004, we were already in the midst of a war and still very much in the economic and emotional recovery of the September 11th attack. Does someone who does a better job of managing the country through those trying times? Does that person need to be so over-the-top anti-gay to get people into the polls because they would have been happy to support a president that had navigated uh, that challenges in in a better way or a more satisfying way? He was desperate. He was desperate, right. He was desperate. You know, the numbers weren't looking good. There was an insurgency, right? And it, it certainly looked as if having John Kerry, who was his opponent then, Having him in office as someone who actually had fought in the war. He's a war hero. Yeah. <laughs> he was a freaking right, exactly. Do all of those things change if it's John McCain, who was also a war hero, who may not have felt desperate yeah. to try to like get people to the polls by beating up on queer people trying to get married. Yeah. But the one thing I am glad of is that Selig was at least willing to use his platform and his influence to help make baseball more of a level playing field. And I will close with this. I bet when W puts his head down at night and looks up at the ceiling, assuming maybe he sleeps up like down, I don't know. But assuming he sleeps like normal people, he looks up at the ceiling and I bet he's like, man, I'd have been so much happier if I'd been commissioner. I would have enjoyed my life so much more. I bet he thinks that. I don't think there's any questions about that. And that's our show for the week. Thanks, everyone, for listening to The Long Game with Elsie and Leach. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. The Long Game is produced by Pierre Bienname, Megan Burney, Mark Levine, and Marshall Eisen. Music is by Gloria Tales with some sound design by David Wilson. We'll be back with another podcast next Wednesday. And I'm pretty sure the Dodgers will be in first place then, too. Booyah! Cardinals are in first place, too, right now, by the way. I feel obliged to point that out. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.